Uh, last week we kicked off a brand new series and we called it the deeply formed life. And what we're talking about is how God shapes those who follow him. God shapes those who follow him. And, and really it's about getting healthy. You know, it's about how God loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And we talked about last week, how do we grow spiritually? How do we grow spiritually? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I was growing up in the South, everything was about football. Anybody else play football here, Mike? Mike, Mike, you guys play football? Todd played football? Yeah, we got everything was about football. And if you look at me today, you'd be like, oh, he's 6'4". He was probably like a tight end or something. You know, like he, he's a big guy. Oh, no, 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 no. When I was a freshman in high school, I was 5'2", 92 pounds. I was a little guy back then. I was a little guy. And I went freshman year, or actually it's my eighth grade year, for the spring tryouts, the spring training for the next year, and I was like the smallest guy out there, and I was just getting run over, and I think I had lasted like two days. I think I was like two days, I'm done. Never actually played a football game in my life, like pads and everything, like never I mean, played in the backyard, obviously, but never played a football game in my life, because I was like the little runt of the, the, the thing. And, and, and so like this is what, I, I, I grew up, you know, with, I was surrounded by football, but I, I don't really know what it's like to actually play in a game. But there's a football term that I grew up hearing. I grew up hearing this football term, and, uh, but I heard it more in the context of dating and marriage than anything else. And, and, and the term is this, you outkicked your coverage. You outkicked your coverage. And what does that mean? Well, in football, it means that there was a kicker that launched the ball way downfield, giving the other team possession of the ball, but with the coverage team still like yards away. And so the runner could get up to full speed, which is making him harder to tackle. The, the returner's teammates, uh, they, they had an easier chance of blocking for him because the, the, they kicked, outkicked their coverage. The kick went way too far for them to be able to cover it. And in dating and marriage, what it can mean is that, it, that she is way out of your league. Like she's way out of your league. And so you outkick your coverage. But I think there's other ways that we outkick our coverage. And we outkick it really often, actually. We outkick our coverage really often. And this is in the busyness and the scheduling of our lives. How we schedule our lives, how we how we uh, uh, look at life, how we attack life, how we how we try to get things done, how we accomplish things, and, and, and like what we put in front of ourselves to do. All of these things are ways that we outkick our covers today. And what I want to talk about this morning is about having good rhythms in life. Good ways of, of scheduling your time, of what you're going to do, of what you're committing yourself to, and not outkicking how many of you guys would say, man, I, I do that often. I, I, I schedule myself way too much. I, I try to do too much. There's not enough time in the day, and, and I'll end up being stressed out and anxious and overwhelmed and overworked, and I don't know what to do, and I go to bed exhausted, and I wake up in the morning exhausted, and that's the society that we live in. We outkick our coverage way too often. I was listening to a podcast a couple months ago, and it was on the subject of HR, particularly hiring 
and promotions, hiring and promotions. And most of us think that in our society that you rise to this level in your job of your competency. So however good you are, the education, the skills, the, all the, you know, the connectedness, whatever it is, you're gonna rise in a position in your organization to how good you are at whatever job that, that you do. And this, uh, this is why people spend tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on education, on trying to raise their competency so that they can get a better job. Interestingly enough, uh, Google did a study years ago about the most high performing, like the best people in their organization, the ones that could do everything. And they found that the best people at STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, those weren't the people who were the best people at Google. The best people at Google were the people who had social and emotional intelligence. They knew inside what was going on, they could process what was going on inside of them, and when they did that, they would be able to ask questions, they would be able to lean on teammates, they would be able to do different things, and by doing that, that made them a better employee. And the assertion that was in this podcast was this, that it's really the other way. People don't rise to the level of incompetence, they rise up and they continue to rise in the organization until they reach their level of incompetence. Until you reach the level where I can't, I can't really do this job, and then you just kind of stay there. You plateau at a certain level. You're, you just stop. You just stop growing. You stop uh, maturing. You just stop, and you stay where you're at. Everyone in this scenario has a point where they, they're in over their head. Every one of us reaches a point where we just get in over our head. And for some of us, this is how we live our lives. We live our lives, we've structured our lives in such a way that we live over our head because that's how the world is set up. And last week we talked about how we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That means this world is constantly trying to shape us and mold us and make us like it, to, to conform us into this system that the world has, that, that, that's the system of this age. But the Bible says that we should not be conformed to that. And so if the idea is, is that everyone is in over their head, everyone is driving for more and more production, for more and more growth, for more and more output, until you reach the point where you can't take it anymore and you're, you're at the end of your rope. If that's the structure of the world, then that's what's going to constantly be trying to shape us as Christians. And so we have to be aware of what's going on in the world outside and how that can affect us personally. At one point, one or two things happen in corporate America. Either you stay in the spot of your maximum output, you plateau there, you, you just stay in that position for the rest of your life and you, you know people that I've been in this job for 35 years, you know, this has been my role, and you stay there, or you get to a place and you just can't take it anymore, and they replace you with someone that can. That's how it works. And, and, and so this is our system, and we keep kicking the ball further and further and further until we get to the point where we've outkicked our coverage. We design our system to outkick our coverage. And if this sounds depressing to you, it is. Because when people with spirits and souls who were created in the image of God are treated like cogs of production or metrics to be managed, that's not right. 
the big, uh, and this is the system of our world today. This is how we managed it. This is how we've set it up. And this is how we operate. So why is it important for us as Christians to be aware of how this is going on? Last week, we talked about how that, you know, again, that Romans says that we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of the world or the pattern of this age. If we're not careful, the pattern of this world will shape how you and I see our value as people. The pattern of this world, your output, what you can contribute, what you can get done in a day, what you can accomplish, all of these things will shape how you see your value as a person, not as a child of God, not identifying in who you are, but in what you can produce. And so if we want to be valued, then in this system, we have to produce more and more and more and more until we can't take it anymore. And I, I personally, I, I genuinely struggle with this. Like I, I, this is like, sometimes this is my week. Like I'll go 90 to nothing at work and then race home only to go 90 to nothing to work on projects at home. Anybody else like that? Like I, I will work, 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 work all week long and then race home and work on projects at home. And so it's one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and that's, that's, that's just what we do. Last week, I finished painting every interior room in my house. I've been working on it for months. For months I've been working on this. Like just months and months and months. And I commented to Liz afterwards. I'm like, man, I'm so excited not to have any more house projects and just rest. I'm so excited about this. And Liz just laughed and she goes, you're not going to rest. You're going to find something else to do. Like you're just going to find the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Because this is how it's ingrained in me to go, 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 go. I used to be the father that every time we went on vacation, I would get sick. Because my body didn't know how to stop. Like my body literally didn't know how to stop. And when I was in college, I discovered that busy was a relative term. I, 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 I used to laugh at my friends who only went to school. Like that's all they did. All, all they did was go to school. They just, they just had to go to class. That was it. They went to class. They would come home. And then they would complain to me about how busy they were. Like, oh, I'm so busy. Like, this is just hard right now, and I just can't do it. And the whole time, like, I'm working a full-time job. I'm going to school. Like, Liz and I are, are, are deep, are, like, deep into our, our, our dating relationship, almost engaged. And, and like, like, I'm just, like, pulled 100 different directions. And I'm, like, literally busy. But my friends are complaining to me about how they're busy. I'm like, dude, come on now. Like, you're not busy. I mean, you know people like that. Like, they, they complain about their busy. They're, they're not busy. It's such a relative term. But I had to come to the realization, and this is my confession, and it's almost like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? My name is Jeff, I'm a workaholic. Like, that's what I am, like, that's what I do. And how many of you guys are like that? Like, you just go, 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 go. And so many of us are like that. A pastor named Rich uh, Villados, Villados uh, who actually wrote a book called The Deeply Formed Life, and if you wanna read it, go get it, it's amazing. He says this, most of us live at a nonstop outward pace, which leaves us no time to be with God and actually does violence against our souls. In 1901, Dr. Dr. John Gertner in New York City, he, can, he uh, coined a term called New Yorkitis. New Yorkitis, and what it was is he says, this is an illness that has symptoms including edginess, quick movements, 
and impulsiveness. Now this is 1901, this is before the internet, before email, before texting, before television, and our world since then has only gotten busier and it's no longer limited just to the borders of New York City. Pastor Eugene Peterson, an author, he says this today, that many pastors in America today are spiritually undercapitalized, meaning they don't have enough gas in the tank to do the work that they're supposed to do. This means that the people who are leading our churches, not just this church, but churches across the nation, don't have enough gas in the tank for the miles that they have to travel today spiritually. And if this is the case for our leaders, what hope do the rest of us have? What hope do the rest of us have? We weren't created to always be on the go. But today, we have too much to do and too little time to do it. How many of you guys would say, this is where I live? This is where I live. Like, I'm just doing I'm trying to go and go and go and go and go. And life can easily bring us to the brink of burnout because of our busy pace. And that can be destructive. We get worn out. And I've found that the more we push ourselves into this desert of busyness, the less water we start to bring for the journey. The busier we get, the less time we take to make sure that we have what we need to survive. That means the busier that I am, the less likely I am to stop and be refreshed by God and his presence in my everyday life. The theologian N.T. Wright, which by the way I recommend reading anything that he writes, it's amazing. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. Kosuke Koyama is a Japanese theologian. He said this. He, he wrote actually a book called The Three Mile an Hour God, saying that if we wanted to connect to God, we need to travel at his pace. Three miles an hour seems like an oddly specific speed. But really what it is, is the regular pace of a human walk. It's not a sprint. It's just a walk. Maybe the solution to our problems of our souls, of our tiredness, of our anxiety, of our struggles, of our feelings of being burned out, of our stress at work, of everything that we're doing, is not figuring out how to produce more, but instead learning to walk with God at his pace. There's a story in, in, in Luke um, that Jesus had an interaction with these two ladies. And, and really, it, it, to be honest, it used to annoy me as a workaholic. But I want to read it today because I think it's important with this subject that we're talking about. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, they went their way. Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Imagine Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, decides to come by your house. My house is never going to be clean enough. And she said to her sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Um, oh, and she had a sister, sorry. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to her teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
You are anxious and troubled about many things, but the one but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's unpack the story a little bit. Martha was distracted with much serving. As, as, as we said before, Jesus the Messiah came to her house. Of course you would be serving. Like, would, would you not be like busy? Like, hey, let, let's make sure everybody's got stuff to eat. Make sure their coats are put away. Make sure they got places to sit down. Oh, we need extra chairs. Go ahead and bring those out. Let's do all these things. And so it's this just constant, like, motion. You can see the struggle that this lady Martha was having. I mean, you guys have probably been in that situation on your own. Like, we just got to take care of some things. That's what we need to do right now. Mary, on the other hand, was sitting at Jesus' feet. And just listening to him teach while Martha was busy doing all this other stuff. But in that culture, that's what a disciple would do. If you are following someone, if you're following a teacher, following a rabbi, wanting to learn from him, what the disciple would do is they would just sit at the feet of the, the teacher and they would listen. They would just listen to him. When Martha complained, Jesus told her, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I don't know about you, but some days that hits me where I live. I'm anxious and troubled about many things. It's not just one thing. It's many things that I have to be worried about. There have been seasons in my life where I just thought that was part of life. Like, we're supposed to be anxious and troubled about many things. You guys ever been there? Anyone who spends any time with me knows that I cannot stand laziness. I cannot stand what I think is lazy, what I what I perceive as lazy, like it just gets under my skin. But if we look at the story, was Mary actually being lazy? Or was she spending time with Jesus, learning from him? Is spending time with Jesus the same thing as doing nothing? Is slowing down your life to a pace where you can interact with Jesus, where you can spend time with him? Is that the same thing as doing nothing? No. It's not. Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion. That's what he said, he, that she chose the good portion. In the original Greek, good here is a comparative word, kind of like uh, good, better, and best. You might think that gas station pizza is good, and national chains pizza is better, and the local pizza joint is best, right? Like that's how like people say it. So there's good, better, and best. This is the, the, the type of word that's being used here. And so when Jesus was telling her uh, that, that Mary chose the good portion, what he was saying is between the two ways of looking at the situation, the way of the workaholic or the way of slowing down and listening to the teachings of Jesus, Mary had chosen the better way. And actually the implication in the original language is that Mary chose the best way. Mary chose the best portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was so busy doing things that Jesus never asked her to do. Think about that. Think about that. Martha was so busy doing things that Jesus never asked her to do. She took all the chores of welcoming him onto herself. And you know what? That's commendable. That's commendable. I don't know if you guys have ever hosted people or welcomed people in, but if you if you don't like make them feel welcome and like like serve them, 
that sometimes that can come across as rude and, and like you don't care. And it's, it's out of a commendable heart and out of Martha wanting to do the right thing that she was busy and she was doing all the stuff and she was getting anxious and stressed. But Jesus never told her to do what she was doing. And so if we are worried, if we are stressed, if we are anxious in life, there may be some things that we're doing that Jesus never told us to do. There may be some things that we're doing that Jesus never told us to do. Urgency creates tyranny. What does that mean? Something that requires you to drop everything and do it now will always seek to control your life. Urgency creates tyranny. This busyness that we are part of in this culture that we live in can rob us of what God is wanting to do to grow our lives. For the most part, we, we today, we don't live in an agricultural society, and except, you know, you walk out the door here, there's farmland right across the street, there's farmland that you probably drove past coming down here, but we don't understand what it's like to plant seed and grow. My daughter lives in Minnesota, she goes to college up there, and she literally gets bananas in the middle of the winter. That shouldn't happen, but it does, right? I mean, like, there's, there's things that, that we just don't connect with, so when the Bible talks about sowing seeds and like what see what happens when you plant something in the ground and then something grows out of it like we, we have a hard time connecting with it but we understand the basic principles we understand that if i put an apple seed in the ground an apple tree is going to grow up and i can eat apples we get that and so there's a passage in luke if you turn back to two chapters where Jesus talks about a sower. This is someone who puts seeds in the ground. This is their job, is to make sure that seeds go in the ground. And he talks about the sower, but he talks about things that happen in the life of the seed that robs it of its purpose. And I want to read that in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 5. It says this. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell upon the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell on good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. Then Jesus explains what it means in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path of those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they received it with joy. But they had no roots and they believed for a while and the time, but in the time of testing, they fell away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those, and I believe this is where many people in our world live today. Many people in our culture live today. They are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in good soil, they are those who carry the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Our busyness, the cares and riches and pleasures of this life can cause our fruit not to mature. So what's the message for today? The message is this. It's 
the pins will come. It's okay to slow down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. A yoke is a piece of wood that they would use to tie oxen together to plow a field. It's used to control the oxen, but it's also used to focus them. So that like one's not going this way and going that way, and they're just all over the place. No, it focuses them on what they're supposed to be doing. And in that day, teachers or rabbis would call the entirety of their teaching, the, the, like the whole, like if I could sum all of this up into one phrase or one word or, or just an idea, they would call the entirety of their teaching their yoke. Because their disciples, the ones who would be plowing the fields for them, who would be working, who would be doing the stuff, they would have, that. that's what would focus them. So as you're living your life, doing whatever you want to do, you have this structure or this teaching that's on you. And as Roman talk, Romans talks about, that there's a world, that this world that we live in, this age that we live in, it has a structure, it has a teaching, it has a, a way of us to think. It could be that, like this world, that only values people for based on what they produce. And so when we, we live that way, we get overworked and overburdened. But Jesus says that his yoke, his teaching, his way of life comes uh, from following him. And that yoke is easy and that burden is light. So we can slow down. We can remind ourselves that we bear the image of God, that we are not just some cog in a machine of production. And the, the thing is, is that God doesn't only like tell us this, like encourage us with this. God also commands us to slow down. God commands, God commands, he demands this of us that we slow down. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath uh, is a day. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Genesis 1 that this is calling back to tells us that God spoke creation into existence. Another way of thinking about this is that creation exists because God told it to. Creation exists because God told it to. So after six days of God telling creation to exist in different ways, God rested and reflected on the goodness of what he had done. I used to think that the Sabbath day was the day that we went to work at the church. Like, that was what I thought, you know? Like, like we, we work in other places all through the week, and then on the Sabbath day, we go work at the church. Like, it's just work, 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 work all the time. And here's the thing. What you need to understand is, is there's a, there's a, um, uh, uh, like, a pendulum swing, I guess, that, that we, we can fall into with this. Like, I'm saying, like, 
we, we, we need to slow down and we need to take this day of rest. We need to take this day where we, we stop and we let God refresh us. And you don't need to be a workaholic. And you don't need to be doing a lot of things that, that Jesus didn't tell you to do. But there's also this, this other side of it where Paul, you know, he says in, in, in later on in, in the Bible that if you don't work, you don't eat. Like, and, and, and if you look at the creation story, like, we, some people think that work was part of the fall. Work was not part of the fall. Like, hard work, toil, that was part of the fall. But he, God put Adam in the garden to tend the garden. He was actually supposed to be working on the garden. So there's stuff that we're supposed to be doing. There's actions that we're supposed to be taking. We're not supposed to be just hanging out all day. Like, Every day, 24-7, seven days a week, all, all the time. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be working, but we work on what God tells us to work when God tells us to work. Six days like creation. We do the work that God tells us to do, and then we take a day of rest to relax and reflect Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When's the last time you just rested? When's the last time you said, you asked yourself, God, of all the things that I'm doing, of all the things that I'm trying to accomplish, of all the things that I have on my plate, of all the things that I'm, that I'm stressed out about or anxious about or, or struggling with or that's causing me stress and, and anxiety, what, of all these things, what is it that you've actually told me Again, creation exists because God told it to. And so we need to stop. We need to relax. We need to ask God to, to, to what, what is it that you want us to do? We need to slow down to his pace. We need to say, God, I want to take some time to refresh myself, to sit at your feet, to listen to your word, to, to pray, to ask you to fill me so that I can do 